0: This is The Wilford Show. Welcome back, everyone. Happy Thursday. It is Thursday, January 11th. Like I said last week, it is an exciting time in sports. The NFL playoffs are underway. We had some great games this past weekend. The college football playoff Was outstanding. We got a lot to talk about this week. We're gonna jump right into it. We're gonna start with the college football playoff Alabama versus Georgia for the national championship. Alabama defeated Georgia 26 to 23 in overtime. Georgia dominated. The line of scrimmage for most of this game. I was really surprised by how well Georgia played in the first three quarters of this game. I really thought that Alabama was going to dominate for the majority of this game. But Nick Saban, his genius just proved to be too much for Georgia. He, his genius just got the tide rolling again. They were down 13 nothing at halftime, and he benched his junior quarterback Jalen Hurts for a guy who he felt could throw the ball down the field better and true freshman quarterback Tua, and I'm going to take a stab at this last name. Uh, we'll, we'll give it a shot. Tua Tagovuala. Tua Tagovuala. This kid hadn't played a meaningful snap all year, and then he comes into this game, the national championship. The national championship. And he comes in and wins the game. From 13 down. His first, his first drive, they scored a touchdown. And then Georgia scored a touchdown and went up 20 to 7. And he, this kid just never, uh Never got down on himself, he threw a pick, he made a couple bad reads, a couple bad throws, but he just kept at it, and he brought this team back in overtime. He made some terrific throws. Nick Saban created a legend a few days ago. This kid probably would have transferred had he not played in this game. Like if he had not played any meaningful snaps all year, he probably would have transferred. This kid's pretty good. He is better than Jalen Hurts. He's just as much of a threat running the ball as Jalen Hurts. They ran some designed runs for him. He's not as fast, but he's definitely got got the goods for it. And he can move the ball down the field with like I was listening to the Herd and Colin Coward compared him to a left-handed Russell Wilson. That's a little early because we've only seen him play in one game, but right now, that one game, he looked like Russell Wilson. Nick Saban is the greatest coach ever in college football history, the best I've ever seen, best of my lifetime to this point. This is obviously the story of the game, this freshman quarterback, Tua Walla. But something else that is noteworthy about this game is that Georgia was up 20-7, to like I said, in the fourth quarter, and they blew it. I don't know, but it, it must be a Georgia thing or something, because Atlanta blew a 28-3 lead against New England in the Super Bowl. And now Georgia blows a 20-7 lead in the college football playoff national championship to Alabama. That's, that's funny. It it has to be a Georgia thing. That That's going to stick with them for a long time. I don't think they're going to ever shake that off until the narrative changes, until one of them actually wins the championship and closes the deal. <laughs> But that was a great game. It had me on the edge of my seat for the majority of the second half, really. I was pulling for Georgia because, you know, it's always nice to see someone new win the championship other than Alabama. But Alabama's just so great. Nick Saban is so great. After this game, the final AP Top 10 was released. And I'm going to take you guys through it. Number one, Alabama, obviously. Georgia, two. Oklahoma, three. Clemson, four. I like... Oklahoma at three and Clemson at four because Clemson got manhandled by Alabama. And Oklahoma really was basically Georgia's equal. So I like how that shook out. Ohio State five. UCF at number six. Central Florida. They were undefeated. They were the only undefeated team in the country. And, yeah, I think they definitely deserved to be in the top ten. I don't think they should have been in the playoff. I just don't think they would have been competitive. They're not a Power 5 team. They don't have a very strong schedule, but definitely top 10. And if, for some reason, they were to expand the playoff next year and they have another great year, then, yeah, I would give them a shot. Wisconsin at 7, Penn State 8, TCU at 9, and Auburn at 10. The Big Ten has three teams in the top 10, And the SEC has one, two, three, also three teams. So, obviously, the Big Ten and the SEC are the two best conferences in college football. I don't think that was hard to figure out, though. I think the Big Ten is the toughest conference. But I agree with this top ten. I can't dispute any of it. We're going to move on now. We're going to do in case you missed it. I said I was going to revisit this. Carson Palmer retired a couple weeks ago after Bruce Arians, their head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, also retired. And Carson Palmer battled a lot of injuries on the latter half of his career, which is why I think he decided to retire now. And Carson Palmer, I think, is a borderline Hall of Famer. That might be crazy to think, but I, I don't think it's too far-fetched. He threw for 46,000 yards in his career and 294 touchdowns. That's pretty good. Those are pretty good numbers. And he turned every bad situation he was a part of into something good. Every situation he went to was horrible, and he turned it around. Carson Palmer was horrible in his first year at USC. I mean, this has nothing to do with his NFL career, but he was horrible in his first year at USC. They get a new coach, and Carson Palmer wins the Heisman the next year. Now, that has a lot to do with the coach, but that was a bad situation. You get a guy with some talent, you get a new coach, things turn around. When he was drafted number one overall by Cincinnati, he made a team that was a dumpster fire at the time, like at the laughingstock of the league, into a playoff team. But eventually, Palmer was so frustrated with this team that he, he wanted out. He said he would retire from the league, he'll quit football if the Bengals didn't get rid of him, didn't release him, or trade him. That was just a bad situation, but he made it better. He made that team better. And then after Cincinnati, he went to Oakland. And Oakland was a poorly-ran franchise, too. And they were a horrible team. And when he got there, he actually made them competitive at 8-8. Eight and eight. Not a winning record, but far more competitive than they were without Carson Palmer. And then after that year... They got rid of him. Makes no sense. Why would you get rid of a guy that just turned you from like a 2-13 or 2-14 team to 8-8 and then get rid of him after one year? But he made that bad situation better. And then he went to Arizona. And they had so many issues in the front office. And he turned them into a consistent playoff contender in the NFC. I mean, they were at the top of the NFC for several years. Carson Palmer was so good, like quietly good too. No one ever talked about him, but he was so quietly good. And it's a shame that he never won a championship or got to play for a championship. And that's not a knock on him. It's not that he wasn't good enough to win a championship it's just that he was never put into a situation that was conducive to winning a championship he was never put in a good enough situation to win one i think he he's at least got to be considered for the hall of fame he has to be he's a he's a borderline hall of famer in my eyes like he and along with a guy like philip rivers i think are borderline hall of famers I think when Philip Rivers retires I think he'll be a Hall of Famer. I really like Philip Rivers and I really like Carson Palmer. Moving along, continuing in case you missed it, Isaiah Thomas returned to the Cleveland Cavaliers not too long ago. He returned about yeah, about a week or two ago and his first game back he played great and he seemed to fit seamlessly with with the offense and with his teammates had a great rapport with a few of the guys. He had 19 points in 20 minutes and he's playing really well right now. And he's on a minutes restriction. And I I get why he's on a minutes restriction. They're trying to ease him in, make sure he's fully healthy. You don't want to play him on back to backs. That way you make sure he's rested. You don't want to rush anything because if you rush something, he could get hurt again. And there's no need for the Cavs to rush IT because they're going to make it to the playoffs. They may not get the first seed, but that doesn't matter to the Cavs. It just matters about making it back to the finals, and they will. So there's no need to rush IT back, get him back healthy. And once he's healthy, they are going to be the team that can beat the Warriors. I don't think the Rockets will. I don't think the Thunder will. I don't think the Spurs will. I don't think the Timberwolves will. I think the Cavs have the best shot in the finals. Will they do it? No, I don't think so. But they have the best shot in the finals with IT. And now that IT is back, now the question can actually really be asked, who won The Cavs Celtics trade back in the summer. Initially, I thought the Cavs won. And I still believe the Cavs won. I'm not saying that Isaiah Thomas is a better player than Kyrie. But on some level, they are equal. But the Cavs got the Brooklyn Nets pick, which is... Somewhat valuable. It's probably in the 8 to 10 range right now where, where Brooklyn's at. And they got the only guy who can guard LeBron James in Jay Crowder from the Celtics. If the Celtics and the Cavs play in the playoffs, the Cavs now have the guy from your team, the only guy that could guard LeBron. So the Cavs, to me, even though they had to wait for IT, clearly won this trade. Now, with this thing with Kyrie and Isaiah Thomas about how I said that they're equals, I think there's this kind of mystique that if you're drafted number one overall, and you went to Duke, and you got all these commercials and shoe deals and and stuff like that, you're a superstar. You're labeled a superstar. And if you were taken last in the draft, and you went to Washington, which is a football school, you have no commercials, no shoe deals, you're just a guy. You're just some other guy. But Kyrie and Isaiah Thomas are virtually the same player. Now, before you laugh and say, well, you're crazy, Look at the stats over the last two full seasons that both of them played. This is over the last two years, Kyrie versus Isaiah Thomas. Points per game, Isaiah Thomas more, 25.5 to Kyrie 22. Assists, Isaiah Thomas 6, Kyrie 5. Rebounds leans towards Kyrie and field goal percentage leans towards Kyrie. But if you look at those numbers, Isaiah Thomas has the same or better stats. Now, it's, it's kind of a little skewed, a little unfair, because in those years, Kyrie played with LeBron. But still, Kyrie is a great player. And there's not a drastic difference be- between these guys. I mean, there just isn't. And obviously Kyrie is the better player. I'm not disputing that. But they're very similar. Kyrie, it was probably ranked anywhere from like the 8th to 10th best player on the planet. And IT, when healthy, is probably in the 12 to 15 range. So they're like one tier apart. But their stats are very, very similar. So it's not crazy to think that you know, maybe they're they're pretty equal. Kyrie is the better player, but it's not by much. There's not a drastic difference between the two. Alright, I'm gonna segue now over to the NFL. This story broke, actually, during my last show when I was talking about Sam Darnold, actually. It actually broke during that time. Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen both declared for the draft. And I was talking about how Darnold was leaning towards staying. But when I was talking about that, he had actually declared. So this, I guess that means I've got to keep my phone with me. And this has got to kind of become a breaking news podcast a little bit. Maybe I've got to have have my phone with me and have notifications on and, and maybe periodically check things. But with Darnold, I think this is probably the right choice because I think he'll go number one to the Browns. And I think the Browns with Darnold and with a new GM in the front office, I think they're going to be a fine team, a competitive team, In a few years. The Browns should definitely take him number one. He's my number one quarterback prospect. And I originally said that if Darnold stays, I would draft Saquon at number one and then Baker Mayfield at four. But now that Darnold's coming out, I think you you definitely got to go with Darnold if you want a quarterback. That's if you want a quarterback though. If they don't, if they want to roll with Kaiser, which I think is a fine option, I think you can develop Kaiser. He's shown you can play, shown you he can play. So if you don't want Darnold, even though I think you'd be missing out on a star if you don't take Darnold, if you don't want to, then go with Saquon at one because you're not going to get him at four. And right now, this is what I think the top five picks will be in the draft. My predictions for the top five picks. Number one, obviously Sam Darnold to the Browns. Number two, the Giants need a quarterback. I'm going with Josh Rosen. Number three, the Colts desperately need a running game to help out Andrew Luck. Frank Gore is still, he's great, but he's 34 years old. He's not going to be around much longer. And I believe his contract is up. So if it's up, He's going to want to go to a team with a serviceable offensive line that can help him run. And then back to the Browns at number 4, I think they got to get some offensive line help and I think they got to go with Orlando Brown tackle out of Oklahoma. They need some offensive line help and if Joe Thomas retires, which he's thought ta- he's considering retiring if his tricep and his elbow and his arm don't heal properly. He's talking about retirement. Orlando Brown is a nice young tackle and he'll be a a good, good player. The Browns also do need receivers though. So if you don't want an offensive lineman and you know for sure Thomas is coming back, maybe you reach a little and draft Calvin Ridley out of Alabama. If you can get Calvin Ridley, And then you have Darnold. Man, that would be something. That would be something to watch develop. I am really intrigued by that. But I think they need to go with the offensive line and get some stability. I think Orlando Brown will do that for you. Staying on the topic of the Browns, Browns fans in Cleveland held a parade for Their perfect season going 0-16 this year. And the Browns front office commented on this saying the fans deserve a team to be proud of and they promise to be better. Well, that's what all teams say. They definitely deserve more. They've been living in below mediocrity for the last 15 years. But with John Dorsey as their GM, I think they'll be fine in a few years. And if they draft Arnold, they'll definitely be fine in a few years. I will say, though, I don't think this parade was a shot at like the team and the players. I think it was a shot at management and the, and the front office because they've done such a poor job of managing this team for the last 15 years. They haven't had have one competitive team in 15 years. Think about that. That's crazy. But Cleveland fans do deserve more, and I think they're going to get it within the next two to three years. Staying in the NFL, the Chiefs offensive coordinator, Matt Nagy, is now the new head coach of the Chicago Bears. I was really hot on this guy. A couple weeks ago. When I heard he was a candidate. When I went through the head coaching carousel. He's a terrific offensive mind. And he makes some pretty good play calls. Even though he kind of bombed the Chiefs Titans game. With Kareem Hunt. We're going to get into that later. When I dive into the, the review of the wild card round. But I really like this guy a lot. He makes really good play calls, and I'm interested what what to see what he can do with Mitch Trubisky and Jordan Howard and that pretty good offensive line. And if he can draft a receiver, because they're in desperate need of receivers, if they can draft a guy like Calvin Ridley or Cortland Sutton in the first round with that with that pick, they. Might be a team to watch in the NFC North. Because right now the Packers... All I got is Aaron Rodgers, which obviously is enough. But Aaron Rodgers doesn't have a lot of weapons. And he has weapons that are... The weapons he, he does have are aging. Chicago might be like the next LA Rams, if you think about it. I think Matt Nagy has Sean McVay potential. That's crazy to say. Sean McVay a one-year coach, and we're already saying the next Sean McVay and living up to his potential. I think they're going to be real contenders in the NFC North and maybe in the NFC, the, the tough, tough NFC within the next two, three years. They could be one of those teams like the LA Rams. All right. We're going to get in now to the NFL playoff review for the wildcard round. We're going to start with the Rams versus the Falcons. The Falcons beat the Rams 23-16. to 16. And it looks like Matt Ryan and the Falcons are back on track. They're, they're back where they were last year in the playoffs. They defeated a young Rams team. And I think this game proved that experience means a lot in the playoffs. The Rams got shut down early, and I don't think the Rams knew really what to do. I don't think Sean McVay knew what to do. Jared Goff thought, I thought he played pretty well throughout the game. I thought he held his own out there. He wasn't as great as Matt Ryan, but I still thought he played pretty well. And Todd Gurley was non-existent for the majority of the game. Todd Gurley's been great all year, and he's had a heck of a year. 2,000-plus yards from scrimmage is pretty dang good. But when it comes to playoffs, running backs sort of go into hiding. Over the last 10 years or so, only one leading rusher in the NFL has a playoff win, and that's DeMarco Murray in 2014 when he was in Dallas. Kareem Hunt was the leading rusher this year. They lost to Tennessee in the wild card. Now, albeit it's not all on the running backs, obviously, because it's a quarterback league, but there's something to be said when the leading rusher on a playoff team hasn't won a playoff game since DeMarco Murray and since before that, I couldn't even tell you. The quarterback position is obviously the most valuable. It's not all on the running backs. Quarterbacks are what win you playoff games and Super Bowls, not the running backs. Todd Gurley will not be the MVP. This proves exactly that Todd Gurley should not be the MVP of the league. If your team can't win in the playoffs and you're the leading rusher, and I know Todd Gurley wasn't the leading rusher, but he was up there. If you're one of the leading rushers in the league, you don't win playoff games. Your team doesn't anyways. Tom Brady will be the MVP because it's a quarterback league, and the quarterback position is the most valuable position on the field, and it always will be until proven otherwise. Like I said last week, I thought the Rams were a year away. Even though I thought they would win this game against the Falcons, I thought they were a year away from making a deep playoff run. The Falcons are going to go to Philadelphia next week to play in the divisional round, and I like the Falcons in this game simply because I don't like Nick Foles. I don't think Nick Foles can lead this Eagles team to a victory. So I'm going to take the Falcons, 27 to 13. The Jags in, and the Buffalo Bills clashed in Jacksonville in a matchup where both teams haven't tasted the playoffs in 10 plus seasons. 10 for the Jags, and 17 years for the Bills. The Jags defeated the Bills in a very low-scoring game, 10-3. This game was really all about defense, Jacksonville specifically. And believe it or not, it was about Blake Bortles. Blake Bortles, I thought, was really impressive. Not with his arm. He's never been a terrific arm talent, even though I think he can be. He has his bright spots. But he was really great with his feet, especially late in this game. He rushed for 88 yards, and a large portion of that came in the fourth quarter. He had more rushing yards than Leonard Fournette. Leonard Fournette only had 51 rushing yards on 17 carries. And Blake Bortles had 10 rushes for 88 yards. And he only threw for 87. He rushed for one more yard than he threw in this game. That's pretty sad, but also impressive. He made a lot of tremendous plays late, especially on big key third downs. And I find it fascinating that a guy at his size, who's 6'5", 230, and he can move as well as he does and pick up first downs on 3rd and 10s and 3rd and 8s and 3rd and 7s. With this playoff loss for the Bills, I feel like the Tyrod Taylor era may be over in Buffalo. Buffalo. And I'm going to look for Buffalo to take a quarterback in this upcoming draft. Tyrod Taylor is a solid QB. I like him. But I think think his time is over in Buffalo. The Jags will go to Pittsburgh to take on the Steelers in the AFC Divisional Round. And I also think this will be a very low-scoring game. The weather is meant to be bad. This is going to be a low scoring game, I think. This is a revenge game for Pittsburgh, and I think they'll get it. But again, I think it's low scoring. I think if Pittsburgh gets to 20 points, they will for sure win. But I don't think they'll get to 20. I'm going to take the Steelers 17 to 13. Antonio Brown is back. He is supposedly healthy and looking good and ready to go and that's going to make a difference in this game because if they don't have Antonio Brown honestly i could see the jags winning i can see the jags winning either way but with antonio brown i like pittsburgh's chances better 17 to 13 pittsburgh the titans went to kansas city and defeated the chiefs 22 to 21 what A meltdown the Chiefs had in this game. The Chiefs were up 21-3 to at halftime. They did not score a single point in the second half. They self-destructed. Travis Kelsey was out with a concussion in this game in the second half. But that's not an excuse for giving up 18 points. Excuse me, 19 points. The Chiefs' play calling was extremely conservative. Andy Reid and Matt Nagy didn't do a very good job in the second half, and Kareem Hunt, the league's leading rusher, barely touched the ball at all. The majority of his carries were within the first 12 minutes of the first quarter. And he had 11 the whole game. The, the Chiefs gave this game away. And that's not to take anything away from the Titans and Marcus Mariota, because Mariota was excellent. He was so good. He played great when things weren't on schedule and when he was under a lot of pressure. And I thought the Chiefs were finally going to overcome all those Playoff woes this year. I really thought they were going to do it. And I thought the Titans were a good opponent to get an easy win against. And this should have been an easy win for them. I thought they were going to overcome their playoff losses. But boy, was I wrong. Kareem Hunt only had 11 carries. And the majority of them came in the first quarter. That's absurd. You can't, you can't win a game by not running the ball. You can't melt clock down by not running the ball. The play calling by Andy Reid and Matt Nagy ultimately did the Chiefs end in this game. Alex Smith played great. But I've given Alex Smith a lot of crap, but he was really good in this game. And the play calling just ruined it for him. Gave away the game. Tennessee will move on to the divisional round round in Foxborough to take on the Patriots. And this is not a good matchup for the Titans at all. Uh, for obvious reasons, I am taking the Patriots. Wow, what a surprise. Taking the Patriots... this is going to be a pretty easy win for the Patriots, and they will get to the AFC Championship. The last wild card game of the weekend was definitely the game of the weekend. The Carolina Panthers took on the New Orleans Saints, and the Saints won 31-26. This was a a great game. The Panthers started off really slow and they only put up nine points in the first half. And Cam Newton played great the whole game and almost led his team to a comeback win on the final drive, but fell short on the last drive of the fourth quarter. I thought this was one of Cam's better games of his career. Probably the best game he's ever played in his entire career. He was easily the second best player on the field. Second to Drew Brees, who was amazing in this game as well. Drew Brees all year has been a second option to the running game in Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram. And anytime a guy like Drew Brees is your second option on your team, you're set to make a deep playoff run. Kamara and Ingram disappeared in this game. They weren't really effective at all. And Drew Brees stepped up and was classic Drew Brees. The Drew Brees of old. Cam played great in this game. But Drew Brees was way better. The Saints now are going to travel to Minnesota to take on the Vikings. And what I think is it's going to be a really close game. The Vikings, I think, have the best roster in football. Their defense, I give their defense a slight edge over New Orleans. Their running games are virtually similar. If I had to pick one, I'll pick the Saints running game. And they obviously have the better quarterback. But my original prediction was Minnesota. They have the best roster in football. I'm gonna go with with Minnesota. I'll take them to win 27-24 in a close one, and Case Keenum's gonna get his first win. And we're gonna, depending on how this game goes, if Minnesota wins, I'm gonna do a segment next week on Case Keenum because there's a lot I want to talk about because right now he is playing for a starting spot on a team potentially the Vikings or other teams that want to call him. So that'll be something to look at. The play of Case Keenum is going to really dictate how this game goes. And if he plays well enough, if he plays close enough to as well as Drew Brees, I think they'll win this game. Vikings over Saints 27-24. I want to go back to Cam Newton for a moment. Cam was great versus New Orleans, like I said before. The best game of his career, in my eyes. But this year, he has been extremely inconsistent as a thrower. When Cam is on, when he's on with his throws, he's easily a top-five quarterback in the league. And his running ability, along with his throwing ability when he's on... It makes him virtually impossible to stop. But whenever Cam plays poorly, people always give him a free pass. They always defend him. I want to compare his numbers to Dak Prescott's this year. Whenever I praise Dak, I get slammed by people I know. And if I criticize Cam, people will defend him. Dak in year two, people would argue, was pretty bad compared to last year. But look at his numbers compared to Cam Newton. I wish I could put this graphic up, but I'm not on TV. This is just a podcast. But I'll just read them to you, and you can... Picture it yourself. For this season, completion percentage, Dak almost 63, Cam 59%. Passing yards per game, 207 for Dak, 206 for Cam, that's not much of a difference. Touchdown to interception ratio, ratio, both had 22 touchdowns passing, Dak had 13 interceptions, and Cam had 16 interceptions. Passer rating, Dak 86, Cam 80, almost 81. In their rushing touchdowns, they both had six. Now, obviously, Cam is more dynamic as a runner. He can get some explosive plays, and Cam is a better runner than Dak, but Dak is probably just as much of a threat. They both run the option read, and they're both really good at it. Dak is better than Cam in in every single category I just listed, except for rushing touchdowns, and they're tied. Like I said, he's just as much of a threat as Cam. He's a better thrower than Cam. He's more consistent than Cam. Dak had a down year, and he was better than Cam Newton. Now, Dak doesn't have much playoff experience. He only has one game under his belt in the playoffs. So I want to compare Cam's numbers in the playoffs to a guy I've given a lot of crap, Alex Smith. In their playoff careers... Alex Smith is 2 and 5 in the playoffs, and Cam is 3 and 4, advantage Cam. Completion percentage. Alex Smith 61.7, Cam 59.8. Touchdown interception ratio. Alex Smith 14 touchdowns, 2 picks. Cam Newton 10 touchdowns, 7 picks. And passer rating, Alex Smith, 97.4, and Cam, 87.7. Hmm. A lot of people have a lot of crap with Alex Smith, but he doesn't look so bad when you compare him to Cam Newton. He's far better statistically than Cam in the playoffs, and they both have similar records one game apart. Next time you try to defend Cam Newton, just look at both of these sets of numbers I just gave you. And I just want to say real quick, that a, a lot of defen- a, a defense for Cam's poor play is that, oh, he doesn't have any receivers. If he would have had Drew Brees' receivers, he would have won that game. That's fair to say. But Michael Thomas is an established receiver. And you know why he's an established receiver? Because Drew Brees made Michael Thomas what he was. There's no telling when a guy comes into the NFL if he's going to be a good player or not. You think he's going to be if he's a first-round receiver. There's no telling if he's going to be a superstar or a bust. The only person that can dictate that is the quarterback. In all honesty, unless they just have bad hands and they drop passes all the time, the quarterback is the one that makes the receivers. I want to give you an example. Robert Woods, receiver for the Rams, he was totally irrelevant when he was in Buffalo for the number of years he was there. And now he comes to LA and has Jared Goff, a far better quarterback than Tyrod Taylor. And now we we'll look at Robert Woods. Now, it does help that the Rams have Sean McVay as their head coach. An amazing offensive mind. But Goff made Robert Woods into what he is. Alright, we're going to segue, still in the NFL... And I just want to say that I was right, everyone. It looks like the end could be near in New England. I was right. I've been saying this for the last few weeks. There is tension between Robert Kraft, Tom Brady, and Bill Belichick. Reports came out that confirmed this. And there's no way that there's no truth to it. No, per- no reporter is going to spend weeks on a story that's completely made up. Now, obviously, Kraft, Belichick, and Brady denied this story. And that's what they're meant to do. They're obviously going to deny that because it's the playoffs. They don't want any negative noise surrounding their team going into a divisional round. Everyone knows that there's tension. They know that there's tension. Kraft even admitted that trading Garoppolo was a bad idea. Yeah, yeah, it was a bad idea. Of course it was a bad idea. You saw what he did in the three games he played when Tom Brady was suspended. Bill Belichick knew exactly what he had. And I think he reached his breaking point with the disagreements when he wasn't able to trade Tom Brady. I think he wanted to trade Tom Brady. That part may not be true, but I think it uh, that's my p- guess. Belichick reached his breaking point and gave the whole future of the franchise away. Gave away Garoppolo who's going to be a superstar. And gave away Brissett, which is he's more than capable to run a team if he's developed right. And Belichick can develop him. I wouldn't be surprised if this was Belichick's last year, Super Bowl or not. Listen, people, not all marriages are perfect. There's bumps, there's bruises, there's rough spots, there's highs, there's lows, there's disagreements. But what marriage doesn't have arguments? It's worked in New England for 18 years. I wouldn't be surprised at all if it ended right after the season. But I also wouldn't be surprised if they stayed together because they've done it for 18 years. Maybe this blow up from Bill Belichick is is too much. Maybe this is too much for him. Maybe this is the breaking point. Maybe it's the last straw. Or maybe it's just being blown out of proportion. But I think there's a high possibility that this could be Bill Belichick's last year coaching. And that would leave Robert Kraft with a 41-year-old quarterback come next season. No head coach, no offensive coordinator, no defensive coordinator, because McDaniels and Patricia are going to get jobs. Patricia is in line to get the Giants job right now. McDaniels, I think, will get the Colts job. I have no word on that. But they're going to be without a coach, without coordinators, a 41-year-old quarterback, and no quarterback for the future. if my prediction is right if Colin Cowards is completely correct Patriots are going to be a laughing stock in a few years I think alright everyone that's the show I want to point out that episode one was hidden On SoundCloud and iTunes and that was because I was not a SoundCloud Pro member because I wasn't a SoundCloud Pro member they hide your oldest tracks and then they do not let you upload past your hour limit I was over the hour limit so I needed to upgrade to SoundCloud Pro to be able to upload more episodes. So now that I'm a SoundCloud Pro member, episode one is now available and all future episodes will be available. All of them will be available for you guys to listen to. Follow me on Twitter at The Will Ford Show. Rate and review on iTunes. Subscribe to SoundCloud and iTunes. And we'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening. This has been The Will Ford Show.